First up, just one local government meeting tonight, but it's a big one up in Durham. The school board set to meet at 6.30 this evening as they continue to sort out the salary debacle that has led to massive budget shortfalls, staff walkouts, school cancellations, and more. School board members will review two options and possibly vote to approve one of them. Neither of them is great, as they'd both leave staffers earning less than they were promised in the fall. And one of those options still requires officials to find another $2 million for the budget. Next, we go to Carborough, where a structure fire yesterday afternoon caused about $65,000 worth of damage to three outbuildings. It happened at 10 Alston Drive near Dogwood Acres. Fire crews had the fire out in about 15 minutes, and there were no injuries reported. Back to Chapel Hill now, where we have our first reported rabies case of the year in Orange County. A resident near Southern Village called animal control after their dog had an altercation with a raccoon. The raccoon did turn out to be infected with rabies. Animal control reminds residents to make sure your pets are caught up on their rabies vaccines. Turning to school news now. Chapel Hill High School was honored this week for their automotive training program run by Robert Ballard. The online magazine Tomorrow's Technician, along with the company Wix Filters, has named Chapel Hill High as the National School of the Year due to the success of that program. Ballard says there are about 100 students in the program, which is run in cooperation with local community colleges. Down to Pittsburgh now. A group of Chatham County and state leaders recently gathered at the water treatment plant to voice their support for improving water quality efforts and laws across North Carolina. Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh has been uh, going to great lengths for a rural town to respond to several chemical spills in the Haw River. 97.9 The Hills' Brighton McConnell filed this story after a trip to one of the town's water facilities. This is all everything from the river, all the dirt and everything. You can see it kind of forms into these balls. And this is our flocculation process. So you got the coagulation and this is what we call flock. And this is the start of it. And then Corey Salisbury, the superintendent for Pittsburgh's water treatment plant, walks around outside, stepping on the grates above slowly churning water at the town facility off 15501. As he gives a tour, he shares how the raw water captured from the Haw River just a mile up the road gets cleaned and filtered before going through treatment to be used as drinking water for residents. Inside the treatment plant, Salisbury and his staff have colorful screen displays where they control that cleaning and filtration. He points out those sections, as well as how much raw water is being taken in from the Haw River and how much clean water is available in the town's water towers on another screen. We can see our pumps, which pumps we're going to run, and, that, and we can see our raw flow today. We can see how much we flowed. Right now we're at 715,000 gallons. This is what we did yesterday, a little over a million. Those raw intake numbers are back up to normal after more than two weeks of drawing only minimal amounts. After receiving an alert from the city of Burlington about a spill of the chemical 1,4-dioxane into the haw on January 24th, Salisbury and his team limited their pulls from the river to just four or five times a day to only meet the town's immediate water demands. Limiting that intake and all the other water cleaning processes at the treatment plant helps Pittsburgh try to keep its drinking water free of contaminants, which is challenging when pulling from a source like the Haw River. 
To highlight both Pittsburgh's efforts and the need for wider regulation of threats to water quality, North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein and House Minority Leader Robert Reeves joined Mayor Kyle Shipp last Thursday. Reeves, who represents Pittsburgh and Chatham County in District 54, said the state government holds some of the responsibility for preventing and responding to contaminants. He said he believes laws should be strengthened and more severe consequences levied to companies who release into water sources, calling the lack of movement by North Carolina, quote, frustrating. A slap on the wrist is nothing when communities like Pittsburgh have to work day and night just to ensure residents have clean drinking water. I'm willing to work with anyone who wants to ensure that safe, clean water is a priority and not an afterthought. Stein echoed those sentiments, pointing to the work his office has done to create precedents in court, even if few laws have been passed. The attorney general said he believes chemical industry leaders have to come to the table to work with the government on improving regulations. Otherwise, he pledged his office will, quote, not hesitate to take action when residents' health is put at risk. When you turn on a faucet at home, you should never have to worry, is that water going to make your loved one sick? You shouldn't have to worry about giving your kids a bath in the bathtub. You should never doubt whether that water is clean. And while I appreciate the town of Pittsburgh's initiative, you shouldn't have to bring water jugs and water bottles to a collection agency to get specially treated water. That is not what we want for the people of North Carolina. Pittsburgh recently spent $3 million to install a granulated activated carbon system to help filter out forever chemicals, also known as PFAS, that aren't regulated. Ship said Thursday that since coming online two years ago, that GAC system has helped decrease around 90% of PFAS compounds and set an example to other local governments of its effectiveness. But Pittsburgh isn't just stopping there. Last week, the town also approved funding for a pilot program with the Burlington company BN Nano, which claims it has filtering processes that go beyond Pittsburgh's current system. Here's Mayor Ship. The promise of this new system is that it can have a dramatic decrease in cost and physical size, and then it actually destroys the chemicals as well. And so that's that's a key differentiator of it, and it works on you know more chemicals than the GAC system does. If it works... The method could lead to another example to rural communities how to prevent contamination and protect residents' water quality. For 97.9 The Hill, I'm Brighton McConnell. Thank you, Brighton. You can find a print version of that story by visiting our website, chapelboro.com. Governor Roy Cooper has declared 2024 the year of public schools in North Carolina, and the year is starting off with the return of a nearly 30-year-old Supreme Court case It is one of the most defining pieces of education in the state. Oral arguments happen today in the latest chapter of the Leandro case. While these arguments are specifically parsing whether the court has the power to dictate how the legislature uses its funding, a major increase in school funding hangs in the balance of the eventual decision. Walter Rinke, a student reporter with UNC's Media Hub, filed this report on the initial purpose of the court's ruling in the 1990s, and the difference that could still be made with its implementation. Leandro is a nearly 30-year-running case that deals with education funding and inequities. 
1994, the mother of Robert Leandro, a student in Hope County, along with others from four other low-wealth counties, argued that their school districts did not have enough money to provide adequate education for their children. In 1997, the case reached the North Carolina Supreme Court. There, Chief Justice Burley Mitchell delivered a decision that would define the next three decades of litigation. When it was in the Supreme Court, what we said is, you have to provide that the, the constitutional right provided in the state constitution is the right to a sound basic education. And then we defined that. In 2004, the Supreme Court reaffirmed that opinion and found that the state was not living up to its constitutional obligation. That eventually led to the creation of the Comprehensive Remedial Plan, which would pour billions of dollars into education. But Mitchell says that was never the point of Leandro. We said money wasn't, wasn't the answer, wasn't the only answer, you know, the end-all, be-all, and that it should not be focused on, and of course it, it was. He says the state's obligation is about outputs, like test scores and educational achievement, not just inputs, like money. You measure compliance by whether Johnny can read. And in North Carolina right now, it appears that Johnny can't read. But funding is all important for poor counties, like Hope County. You know, those dollars definitely would be used to provide a better educational experience for children. Dr. Dawn Ramshire is the Assistant Superintendent of Elementary Education and Technology in Hope County. Hope often ranks near the bottom in ability to fund county schools. I just do believe that that condition still exists and it hasn't been resolved. Ramshire says increased funding from the plan laid out in Leandro would have a huge impact on the district. I think it's not only going to benefit our school system, but also contribute to that broader community um, by strengthening, you know, that educational foundation for future generations. And it would correct a three-decade-long mistake. You think about that, you think about for 30 years, students have still been, we've had an equity issue. Um, We can't go back and undo that. That's done. Ramshire worries that in all of the litigation, People have lost focus. I do hope that we get back to um, remembering why this is so important and that those um, inequities do exist across the state. The court former Chief Justice Mitchell once sat on will decide in February what to do next following billions of dollars in expenditures and decades of litigation. I'm Walter Rinke, reporting. UNC Media Hub is a course through the Hussman School of Journalism and Media that features in-depth reported stories To find a different print version of that same story, you can head to chapelboro.com. You can also find other stories at mediahub.unc.edu. Time now for sports, and we'll start sports with women's basketball. They have maybe the game of the year coming up tonight at 8 o'clock as they welcome 6th-ranked NC State to Carmichael Arena. UNC tied for 6th in the ACC currently with a 9-5 record, but they are only a game behind 4th place, and with 4th place comes a double bye in the ACC tournament. That would be a pretty big deal. Carolina, you may remember, narrowly lost to the Wolfpack in Raleigh three weeks ago, so they'll be looking to avenge that and make quite the statement win here as we get deeper into February. Tip-off's 8 p.m. tonight. We'll have the action for you starting with Matt Krause's pregame coverage at 7.30 here on your flagship station for UNC Sports 97.9 The Hill. Also got a big game coming up for the men's team. They'll be playing on Saturday at Virginia. Armando Baycott has never actually won in Charlottesville. 
Carolina's going to need contributions from him and everybody else if they're going to crack the vaunted UVA defense. Speaking on Hubert Davis Live this week, assistant coach Sean May discussed his message to Baycott and the rest of the Tar Heel big men leading up to that game. Well, I've seen him for many, many, many years because he's been here forever. Um, but he's got, you know, the thing about Armando and I have a, a phenomenal relationship. And for the way he played against Virginia Tech, especially in that second half, and, you know, we, we've had to try to, you know, make him understand that, listen, like, you know, RJ's having a great year, but it's got to be both of you and and you've got to you've got to impose your will on the game and you have a dominance about you and a and a presence we a presence we always talk about like they, they got to feel you whether you're scoring or not they have to feel you and know you're there and be a presence in the lane and on the backboard so he's been really good as of late and and, and I want him to continue to play uh, extremely well listen he you know he's had a, a storied career here um, and we want to end it the right way. And I think it's very important for him to end it the right way. And uh, he's put himself in a great position. I think Harrison has lightened the load a little bit on him. I tell him, you know, I told Harrison, we've got the best uh, rebounder in Carolina basketball history, but you're leading the conference in rebounding. So that's right. That says a lot about Harrison and the work that he's done. And, and we've got a good group. Jalen Washington has helped us. He, he's continued to grow and continue to get better. James Conquo, I mean, you guys should see him in practice. He, he, you know, he, he's a beast. And so uh, we've got a good group of good big man group and we got more work to do sean may speaking there we've got some other sports in action to tell you about hot start for the unc softball squad as they got another win 6-4 over unc greensboro they're now six and one on the season big hit coming from lexi godwin with a three three run homer in that one it's the best start to the season for the softball team since 2012 they'll be back at it tomorrow hosting lipscomb Meanwhile, the UNC swimming and diving team continues in Greensboro for the ACC championships. Not surprisingly, some more hardware for decorated diver Aranza Vasquez Montano. She took a gold in the one-meter springboard yesterday, and they'll be at it at that tournament through Saturday.